what we're going to turn to Luke chapter 7, uh, verse 36 through 50. Uh, we'll, I'll read the chapter uh, as we do here, and then I'll pray, uh, and then we'll dive into God's Word. So Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is, and who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled a larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father, we are sinners entering into the holy presence of God. God, we thank you for the forgiveness of sins in Christ. God, we thank you that the only way we can approach you is because of the blood shed on our behalf through the Lord Christ. God, we thank you for the hope that we have in his resurrection from the dead. God, I pray today that we would experience this type of forgiveness, that our hearts would be transformed when we hear about the offering that you have given us in Christ. God, I pray that you would just encourage your people today to cherish their forgiveness. God, we pray for those here who may not have that forgiveness yet. God, we pray that your, your, your spirit would rest heavy upon their hearts, God. 
Let them feel the burden and the weight of their sin. But, oh God, I pray that they would freely confess it today, that they may feel the freedom that comes through following you. God, we lift up our our dear sister Mary to you, who's lost her husband of 65 years. God, we thank you so much for their lives and their faithfulness to this church and to each other. God, we just pray for um, Mary and her, her daughter and family. God, we just pray that you would just surround them with your grace. God, that you would comfort those who mourn as they grieve the loss of Herbert. Be with them, we pray. Send your spirit. God, we also pray for um, our vacation Bible school coming up. God, we just pray that you use it for your glory. Father, as we've already prayed, you know the hearts and needs of everyone here, God, everyone here in our community. God, we pray that you just use our church to be a light, to be a city set upon a hill, that people may see our love and see our good works, and they may give you praise. So God, we pray that you would sovereignly ordain the right families to come and the right children here. We pray that you would soften their hearts, that they may hear and receive the gospel um, for the glory of your name. But God, not only our church, God, we pray for all the vacation Bible schools, God, that we, we are not trying to be a, a more... Um, to be a better vacation Bible school than other places, God. We just want your kingdom to grow. So God, I pray all the vacation Bible schools that happen this year, we pray for the volunteers, we pray for the, the children's hearts, God. We pray that they may hear and receive the joy that comes with following Christ. God, we pray now for our own hearts as we turn into your word. God, I pray that you would just bless us. God, uh, you're, you promise good to us. You promise good, Lord. God, so we call down from heaven begging you to give us good now, Lord. God, give us good to our own hearts. Feed our souls through your word for the glory of your holy name. And for our good, we pray in the name of our beloved and blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Advertising uh, has become a staple uh, in our culture. Uh, Marketing companies make their living trying to make consumers choose their, pro- their projects or their products over their competitors. So you turn on the news and you see Coca-Cola battling against Pepsi. You see Apple against Microsoft, State Farm against Geico, Chick-fil-A against everybody, right? These companies are trying to show that their product is better compared with other companies. See, advertising is designed to make consumers choose. And much like advertising, Luke writes this gospel to make people choose a certain way of life over another way. And throughout this gospel, Luke is constantly contrasting the way of the Pharisees and the way of Christ. So today, as we look at the story and the life of Jesus, we see two very distinct groups contrasted. And my prayer is this morning that you will analyze and search your own heart to see where you fall this morning. If your heart is on the wrong side, I pray that you would turn and choose to embrace the way that God wants in His Word. So we're going to look at two hearts this morning. Uh, The first heart we're going to look at is the heart of the Pharisee. The heart of the Pharisee. You look with me in verse 36, it says, one of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And when he went into the Pharisee's house, he took his place at the table. The first things that we see in terms of 
uh, this, this Pharisee, is that he invited Jesus into his home. Now, hospitality was a very big deal in the first century. So when you had a meal with someone, you showed their acceptance and your friendship with that person. Oftentimes, if you read throughout the Gospel of Luke, you'll see Jesus either going to a meal, at a meal, or leaving a meal. Not a bad life, if you ask me, right? The center of the culture was revolved around the table. But we see with, with, with this Pharisee is that the first thing that he did that reveals his heart is that he criticizes others. He criticizes others. Now, at this home, he was probably thinking that, uh, that this offer of friendship would, would gain him notoriety and acclaim. Now, just think about this. Jesus was the talk of the day. People were listening to Jesus. People were talking about Jesus. And now this Pharisee has Jesus coming into his home. It's a big deal. You can imagine all the preparations that this Pharisee took, and he wanted to make his name great in the community that Jesus was entering into his home. But the meal did not happen the way he thought. Look at verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee, who had invited Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So the hopes of a great evening uh, where, where people are going to talk about Jesus entering into this man's house, Simon's house, is all changed when a woman of the city, a sinner, enters in to the house. And the first thing this Pharisee did is he, he cast judgment on this woman. It says that he, referring to her as a woman of the city, a, a sinner, and how dare that this, Jesus would allow this dirty woman to touch his feet. But I think this, not only does this Pharisee criticize the woman, notice he also criticizes Jesus. It says, if this man were a prophet... Basically, he's seeing what's going on here, and he's looking at Jesus and saying, this man must not be a prophet. Now, we, we learn even early in, in, in this chapter where Jesus is called a great prophet because he raised someone from the dead. Right? He, he, he made the man who was paralyzed rise up and walk. Jesus had authority and power, but he saw these events, and his mind couldn't comprehend them. Jesus must not be a prophet. See, the heart of a Pharisee thinks it is right to judge and criticize others. It assumes to know the motivations and intents of the heart. The Pharisee did not understand what he really saw. He did not understand the heart of our Savior. So, beloved, we must be very careful not to interpret the events we see wrongly. Are you one to criticize and condemn others? See, but not only does he criticize and condemn others, what does he do? He commends himself. He commends self. By placing a judgment against Jesus, this man is really saying, I would never allow that sort of woman to touch 
my feet. You almost can see him like elevating himself above Christ. See, the Pharisees prided themselves on obeying the law. They were very careful how they lived. Why? So they could commend themselves to others. We see Jesus attacking this again and again on the Sermon on the Mount, talking about the Pharisees praying and giving and fasting so that they could be seen by others. The heart of a Pharisee wants to be seen. The goal of their life is to get praise for themselves. So when this situation happened, he did not concern himself with this woman. All he concerned himself was, how will this be reflected on me? The driving force behind the heart of a Pharisee is how everything in life affects me. So, beloved, what is your greatest concern? Is your greatest concern how things reflect on you or how they reflect on the glory of God? Not only do we see that, we see that he cherishes their earthly position. The heart of a Pharisee cherishes the earthly position. So I, th- I think the reason Pharisees criticize others and commend themselves is because ultimately what they're more focused on is this world. They want to have a name and a place here on earth. This man was consumed with his position in his earthly kingdom. He was short-sighted. He was driven by status and prestige. He was more concerned with external appearance than he was with his heart. Now, beloved, can I just tell you that this is one of the most dangerous lies that our world offers on a daily basis. Care more about this present world than the world to come. Care more about the opinions of others, the opinions of the world, than the opinions of God. See, our world cares more about the powerful and society's elite than they do about the poor sinner, the outcast. So let me ask you a question. Who is harder to be saved? One with the heart of a Pharisee who criticizes others, who commends self, who cherishes their position in this world, or a sinner? It is much easier to save a sinner than it is to save a Pharisee. Now, sadly, many people go to church week in and week out and have the heart of a Pharisee. They are constantly criticizing others. They are constantly commending themselves to others and to God because they cherish their role in this present world. And beloved, they are lost. They are lost. Because Jesus loves the sinner, but he also loves that Pharisee. Now, when I look at my own heart, beloved, I will be honest, sometimes my heart reflects more of the heart of a Pharisee than it does the heart of this woman, which we'll look at in a second. But look at how Jesus speaks to this Pharisee in verse 40. And Jesus answering said to them, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. 
And he said to him, you have judged rightly. See, Jesus is trying to graciously expose the heart of the Pharisee. This is what the Word of God does. What the Word of God does, it tries to expose our sin. Look, 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 look how the situation turns. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Do you see her? She is the one who is loving much. You gave me no water. You gave me no kiss. You gave me no ointment. Look what she has done for me. Then he says those powerful words. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. It's a very clear comparison, beloved, between the woman and the Pharisee. Jesus looks to the Pharisee and shows him how little he loved. He has loved little because he has not understood his sin and his need to be forgiven. This is why it's harder for a Pharisee to be saved. Because the life of the Pharisee, the heart of the Pharisee, is all about your works. They continually commend themselves to God for their labors, and so doing, limit their ability to love. Now, our world does not like to talk about sin. And be honest with you, there's a lot of churches that don't like to talk about sin. They'll say things like, the church shouldn't be about sin. The church should be about love. Now, we could say, amen, the church should be about love. But when you don't talk about sin, you will never have a church that is about love. That's exactly what it says here. Those who do not talk about sin believe if you focus on people's sin, you'll make them feel bad about themselves and affect their self-esteem. The problem with this approach, that without an understanding of how bad we really are and how horrible our sin is in the presence of God, we will never be able to love much. That's what he's trying to get at here. We want to be a church that loves, but we have to do that on the other side of forgiveness. The Pharisee loved little because they were forgiven little. If you think that your sin is small, you will have a hard time loving God and loving your neighbor. But not so when you have been forgiven. Not so when you look at your sin and you magnify it. So now let's turn and look at the heart of the forgiven. Now I'll just be honest with you. This story grips my heart. It grips my heart. You know, this past week and just struggling with my own sin, you know, and feeling condemned, there is nothing like knowing God's forgiveness. Listen, let's look at this woman a little closer in verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Uh, Luke calls her a woman of the city who was a sinner. It was very obvious who this woman was. Uh, She had a reputation of immorality. Most scholars believe that she was a prostitute. We don't know that for for, 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 for certain, but you can imagine this scene. A group of religious 
and socially elite people, the well-off in society, sitting around a table eating. And then Luke says, Behold, a woman of the city, a prostitute, walks in the gathering. I can, you can imagine, this is the, the point of a story when the music stops playing. You hear that, and everyone turns their head and goes, what is going on? You could probably heard a pin drop. Can you imagine the amount of courage that it took for this woman to come into that house? Her courage was born out of her desperation. Uh, even the psalm that, that, that Bobby just read. See, what happens when we are living in sin, we feel this weight. We feel this burden in our own heart. And I can only imagine this woman in, in the quietness of her bed at night feeling the weight of sin. I can only imagine the scorn she felt every time she walked down the street and people rolled their eyes and started to whisper about her. She was desperate then all of a sudden, she heard of Jesus. She heard that there was one who has the authority to forgive sins. And something happened inside of her. She was no longer concerned with this world. She was no longer concerned so much with the heaviness of her sin. She was inclined to go to Christ. That's what happens when we're saved. We feel this weight in our sin. And I'm sure there are probably people here who are feeling a weight upon their own heart. You know your sin. You feel its heaviness. I pray you have the courage, like this woman, to go to Christ. See, because she criticized herself. That's the heart of the forgiven. She criticized herself. She realized that she was a sinner and she needed a Savior. She didn't make light of her sin. You can imagine her shame and the guilt that weighed upon her heart. But she heard of Jesus, the one who raises the dead, who heals the sick, who has the authority to forgive sins. So in verse 37, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment, Standing behind his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. So in that day, Jesus was probably sitting, on his, um, uh, sitting down and his feet would have been out behind him. So it would have been very natural for someone to be able to reach his feet. And this woman, full of grief, and joy, this mixture of those kind of tears. Have you ever had those kind of tears where you know that there is deep sadness, but there's also joy in those tears? She came, and she didn't just have a, have a little bit. She was sobbing. She was sobbing because she realized her sin separated her from God. That even though all her many sins separated her from God, Christ was beckoning her. Christ was calling her to come to Him. She criticized her sin. But let's see the second point, how she commended Christ. The heart of the forgiven commends Christ. She brought an alabaster flask of ointment to pour on Jesus' feet. Now, being a woman of the city, she probably was not well off. She probably was poor. So she took one of the most valuable things that she had, and she gave it to Christ. 
It was an act of deep devotion. This is the heart of the forgiven. See, the heart of those who, who know Jesus, they want to commend Jesus to everybody. They're not, they're not afraid to give up their most valuable possession for the sake of Christ. Actually, we're called to. We delight in giving up our valuable possessions. Even the Apostle Paul says, whatever was to my gain, whatever was to my profit, I considered it loss compared to the sake of Christ. I consider them rubbish that I may know Christ and have a righteousness not of my own that comes from the law, but a righteousness that comes from God. Sinners must recognize their sin and they must go to the one place that can handle their sin, Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Titus 3.3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, hating one another. See, we were foolish. All of us in this room, at one point or another, have been foolish, disobedient sinners. We have wronged others. We have hated others. And we have been hated by others. But the question is, where do we go with that sin? See, the Pharisee dealt with their sin by commending their good works to God. But we know that even our good works are polluted, are filthy in God's sight. Isaiah 64, 5 and 6. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Even our righteous deeds are mixed with evil. So how can we deal with our sin? We can't be like the Pharisee. We must be like the woman of the city who didn't commend herself to God, but she fell before Him and commended Him as her only source of salvation and hope for forgiveness. See, Jesus Christ has made a way to be forgiven. He lived the life that we were called to live. And he died the death that we deserved. And God, showing that he accepted that sacrifice, raised him from the dead. Offering everyone who puts their faith in Christ, everyone who looks to Christ to be forgiven. We know God loves to forgive sins. In verse 34, it says it very plainly. Do you see this woman? We see her love. Right? She wept tears at her feet, wiped the tears with her hair. The Pharisee gave no kiss, but this woman did not cease in kissing Jesus' feet. And then it says, Therefore I tell you, your her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Do you ever feel the weight of your sin? Do you ever feel guilty, full of shame? full of grief for what you have done to others. All who turn to Christ, hear this, beloved, all who turn to Christ are forgiven. All your many sins, all your many sins are forgiven. And we hear the promise in Romans 8, 1, that there is now no condemnation There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
The devil will try to come and he'll try to throw arrows at you to assail your conscience. But you need to go back and you need to say, I am forgiven. But we must not understand what saved her. It wasn't that her good work saved her. It wasn't that her love saved her. It says at the end, Jesus says, Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, salvation from our sin is only through faith. Well, lastly, the heart of the forgiven person cherishes their heavenly position. We should cherish our heavenly position. See, our world is backwards. It's upside down. See, the people are honored, um, are often those who are against the Lord. Our culture values celebrity, power, and money, but God values faith. The Pharisee valued his position in this world, but this sinful woman valued her position in God's kingdom. So Luke contrasts this, 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 this Pharisee and this woman. And he's doing it for your benefit. Who are you more like? Are you like this woman who understands how bad she is, but how forgiven she is in Christ? Or are you like the Pharisee who lives commending self and criticizing others so that people will think well of you? We, we can't miss this, that the, Luke is also contrasting how the Pharisee, how the religious, and how Jesus deal with sinners. And I think this is a word, as a church, we need to hear. The Apostle Paul says in, in 1 Timothy 1.15 that this saying is trustworthy and true and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Are we going to be the kind of people who welcome sinners. If, if a prostitute walked into our church, would we shun her? Or would we embrace her with the love of the gospel? Would we invite them to be forgiven as we have been forgiven of our many sins? Are we going into the world to save sinners? I want to be a pastor of a church that has our arms open wide for those who are living in sin. We want to give them the gospel of Christ that all who turn to Jesus are going to be forgiven as we have been forgiven. Well, let me close with this. Uh, there's a story uh, of a professor uh, at Eastern University in Philadelphia uh, named Tony Campolo. I don't agree with everything he says, but I think this story is fitting for us. He was teaching at a conference in uh, Honolulu, Hawaii, and uh, he was struggling from the delay in time, so he couldn't, uh, couldn't go to sleep. He was hungry, so he thought he'd walk the streets and try to find a greasy spoon to eat. Most places were closed, and he happened upon this one place, uh, sat down. Uh, the place was admittedly filthy. Uh, he didn't want to eat anything, so he asked for a donut. And he, in his words, the fat man behind the counter handed him a donut uh, and a glass of coffee. Well, all of a sudden, the door opened and a, and a group of prostitutes walked in to the establishment. Their talk was loud and crude. Uh, he started to feel completely out of place. And then the woman sitting next to him, he heard her say, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. Her friend responded nastily, so what do you want from me, a birthday party? You want me to get you a cake and sing happy birthday? The girl replied, oh, come on. Why are you so mean? I was just telling you, that's all. Why do you have to put me down? 
I was just telling you it was my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should you give me a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party in my entire life. Why should I have one now? When Campolo heard this, uh, they left, and he made a decision. He asked the man behind the counter, he said, Harry, um, do they come here every night? He goes, yeah. Well, who was that who was birthday was? That's Agnes. She's always here. Because I heard it was her birthday tomorrow. What do you say me and you throw our birthday party? Right here tomorrow night. He said, great, sounds like a great idea. Uh, so what, what he did is Harry and Tony, they, they invited everyone they knew, um, uh, and apparently all the prostitutes in the area uh, came to this birthday party. Um, well, 2.30 came around the next night, and Tony came, and he fixed up the place, decorated it for a birthday party, uh, had happy birthday decorations. So the place was packed um, at 3.30, uh, on the dot, the door swung open, and Agnes and her friend uh, came in, and they all screamed, Happy birthday! Agnes was stunned, flabbergasted, and shaken. Her mouth fell open, her legs buckled, she had to sit down on a stool. She started to, to weep. Harry mumbled, Blow out your candles, Agnes, blow them out. She said, Can I take my cake home with me? She said, it's your party. You could take, take it home with you if you'd like. When everyone was gone, Harry looked at Tony and said, I didn't know you were a preacher. What kind of church do you, do you, do you go to? He goes, I go to a church uh, that throws parties for prostitutes at 3 o'clock in the morning. And Harry said, man, I don't believe it. Because if there was a church like that, I'd want to go to it. Uh, beloved, this is the heart of our Lord. We need to understand that we have been forgiven so much. Our sin deserves to be punished. And God, in His grace, sent Christ to die on our behalf. And out of that love, we need to extend that grace to this world, whether it be a prostitute or our neighbor. I pray that we would be a kind of church like that. Those who are forgiven much love much. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you. I thank you for forgiveness. I thank you that we have been forgiven in Christ. God, we do not deserve forgiveness. We deserve to perish. But you were so kind to us, sending the Lord Jesus to die in our place. God, we pray that we would be the kind of church who loves much because we have been forgiven much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.